0: The Lonely Hour is now. Hi, everyone. It's your host, Julia Bainbridge. And for season two of the show, I've joined up with the team at The Listening Booth, home of Memory Motel and What's Happening Here. The first episode is, and I hope you can't hear my eyes rolling here, all about me. Here's a little something I recorded from my apartment a couple weeks ago, and I hope it will all make sense once you listen through. So my producers wanted me to record this in the booth, and I know that the sound quality would be better for you guys that way, but this isn't easy stuff, and so I want to tackle it in my space. So there is some construction going on in the building next to me. I'm sorry about that. You might hear some car horns outside or the fan in my bedroom is blowing right now. Chris and Terrence, I'm sorry, that's, That's how the fuck this is going to (laughs) go. So season one happened, and it happened pretty well, I think. But I realize in retrospect that there was a big question I didn't answer. Um, It's a question I get from people every time I describe the show to them. It's an obvious question to want to know the answer to when you're talking to somebody who has created a show called The Lonely Hour. Why am I doing this? What's my stake in this podcast? Why... Am I on this journey? To a certain degree, I answer that on the About page of the show's website. I started this project because we seem to be experiencing a significant increase in social isolation and um, a decrease in connection to close friends and family. Um, That's according to studies a couple years ago from the National Science Foundation. Loneliness may be our next big public health issue. And those things are true. I'm not lying on my website, but what's also true is that I'm lonely. I'm a 33-year-old single woman in New York City who's looking for partnership um, at a time and in a place where it seems particularly hard to find, or maybe it's just particularly hard for me to find, and that's an even lonelier-making thought. I mean, that said, I'm constantly meeting women who are really are catches, um they're smart they're well-dressed they're ambitious they're ready to give and to love their doors should be beaten down by suitors and they're not emily witt puts it really well in the introduction to her new book future sex she says um that her friends had this almost religious belief that love would one day arrive for her as it had for them and um that it's something the universe owes us all but um as Emily got older, she worried that it wouldn't come for her. And I worry that it won't come for me. And my friends, even in New York, where people tend to settle down later, are pairing off. They're reproducing. It's it's one thing when my friends in Maryland, where I'm from, started having babies. And it's it's quite another when they start doing that in Manhattan. And now they're working on their seconds. And I'm in my one-bedroom apartment in Clinton Hill. And you know, they say, you'll have it, you deserve it. But I don't really know what that means to deserve. In either way... Just because you deserve doesn't mean you will get. So motivated by anger and frustration and sadness, I started season one. And I got I got back a lot. I got back people telling me tales of their loneliness without my even calling for it. Um, you know, I really, I hit a nerve and people were sharing very personal things with me. It was moving. You know, they were talking about motherhood about single fatherdom, being a black woman in America, being a partner to someone with mental illness, something as light as starting a new job. You know, I mean, not all of this outreach was exactly about loneliness, but people wanted to talk and they wanted to talk to me.
1: As a single black woman and mother, while there is a sisterhood most of us have with each other, Being saturated with the media's and society's view as the angry black woman, black men not wanting to date black women. Hey Julia, I hope you're doing well. I just had to write you because I started listening to your podcast today. I started with the most recent one on motherhood and I'm sitting here with tears in my eyes because of just how much that episode meant to me. Damn, I haven't cried that hard in a good cathartic way in a long time. And I just had to thank you for approaching me. I thought a, a lot, lot about taboo. being an only child. I had a really chaotic childhood growing up with a mom and a dad that was split up. A really kind of
0: like macho construction worker father and a little bit of a crazy mom,
1: and so I had a kind of a chaotic childhood growing up. I spent a lot of child. time being lonely and thinking about being lonely. As someone who likes to write, I felt compelled to articulate these feelings, but I feel like I never managed to capture it. There's a line in the opening. I also have a lot of feelings, loneliness being one of them, and that really resonated with me. My friends often tease me about how I like to philosophize. My I love our son so, so dearly, I but I've found the transition to motherhood to be so hard the scowls you get from other people in a crowded area when your kid's throwing a tantrum, for example. It's mortifying. And I feel so alone sometimes because I'm not allowed to admit that sometimes I just really, really don't like my child. (laughs) Of course, I always love him. Women of color feel the same way as I do when left alone in our thoughts. I find myself exhausted, stressed, becoming more introverted. That's being and feeling lonely. I feel lonely in expressing those feelings because my friends can't always relate. What I love about TLH is that I feel a sense of connection to all the speakers, even if they don't share the same life. Yes, being
0: alone is, is is comforting and it protects me, but at the same time, it can lead to loneliness. So,
1: anyways, all this to say, I just had to thank you. I'm finding myself addicted to your podcast now, and I wanted you to know what a huge comfort I found the episode on motherhood to be. Just knowing that, ironically. I'm not alone, so thanks again. It's funny, or maybe it's sad, that what brings us together is the sense that we all feel lonely.
0: So, now I'm in it, you know. For season two, I really want to be of service to people who care about this topic and who want to explore and go places I never thought of going. I mean, really, their response moved me so much that I want to see where else this can go. And I kind of know there's more because of them um, than I addressed in season one. And so I'm excited for season two to open the door to things I didn't think were possible, basically. Um, And my own sense of loneliness has changed over time. I've turned a kind of corner where I've left an old identity, the identity of like a very social girl who talks a lot and drinks a lot and flirts a lot with everyone and um, to someone who spends much of her time alone, to someone who's become sober, at least for a little while, and who feels, frankly, a little disconnected and numb. And I don't know why exactly I'm in the middle of it right now, but it's clear that I've gone from being a social butterfly to someone who's more withdrawn and I'm so sensitive to what other people deem me to be right now. Like every time someone says, oh, that's Julia, and assigns a certain personality to me, it feels, it feels good in part. Like, oh, there's an, like, like a clear idea of my personality that I've given off, and therefore I exist, you know. And at the same time, it feels kind of thin. Like, like it doesn't feel quite correct anymore, but I don't know what is correct I'm not the control for the experiment of trying on other people's commentary for size. So while that former party girl identity doesn't feel completely comfortable, neither does this one. And, um, you know, at least then I knew what I was. Now I don't really know what I'm going to be. And it's, it's an awkward, vulnerable place. And even before when I was alone, alcohol could fill up the space with sound. So... When you remove that, what's left? What's in the quietness? <laughs> the answer could be terrifying or it could be terribly exciting. Maybe this is going to be a time of intense awakeness. So, the show is in part a selfish exercise. Like, I'm a journalist at heart, and so uh, one goal is to catalog other people's stories of loneliness um, and solitude, but I'd be lying if I said, I wasn't also a listener in this case looking to learn from other people's perspectives on the upsides and downsides to aloneness and how they navigate it all. Okay, I'm back in the booth now. Thanks for listening to me go on. If any of that resonated with you, please tell me. You can email me at LonelyHourPodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Lonely Podcast. Or you can find me on the Lonely Hour's Facebook page. And sign up for our newsletter at TheLonelyHour.com and you'll be the first to know when the next episode drops. Here's a little taste of it.
1: I think the bottom line is that for whatever reason, um, it could be biological or it could be psychological, it really doesn't matter, Um, my fetish was fixed Very, very, very early in life. Um, And that's the detail that matters. It doesn't matter whether I, you know, was quote unquote born with a fetish, but the fact is it existed from my earliest memories. Right.
0: And that's why you have these memories of, of your mother spanking you that still stick with
1: you in such a way. When you were spanked as a child, something sexual was not happening to right. you. But when I was spanked as a child, something sexual was happening to me.
0: That episode goes live on November 9th. Until then, I want to know, what does loneliness mean to you? Let's explore that together. Leave me a voicemail at 415-663-5901. That's 41 lonely 01. You can also record your thoughts as a voice memo and email me the mp3 file at lonelyhourpodcast at gmail.com. Just make sure to include your name and an email address so I can get back to you because we may use what you said in a future episode. Until next time, enjoy yourself.